Do you have a pre-show? I guess I'm not ready. Doesn't not ready. <laughs> doesn't have a pre-show. Man, I didn't. There's so much stuff on the on the show notes here. Yeah, and I didn't even think of a a pre-show. Man, what if we just pulled something from the show notes? Okay, yeah, I, I got this. I got this. Okay, cool. All right, so I went to went to one of those, you know, corporate gathering things. As as you do, as one does. And no, not not as one does, as you do, because I don't do those things. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, I was in a social setting, and in that social setting, there was a person who was there who also is a camera person, but like a different kind of camera person than mm-hmm. I'm a camera person. Mm-hmm. It's more of like a, I'm not going to describe it. I don't know if they listen. Anyway, uh, this person had one of those super slick monochrome like Q2s. Oh, man. that's Isn't that new? Uh, or, no, no, that no. The no. That's, okay. that's the one that's been out for, it's been like a year, right? I think there's a new one that came out recently, but it may not be like it. Maybe I'm thinking of Pentax. I am thinking of the Q2. The Q2 is the one that's the non-interchangeable lens, mm-hmm. 47 megapixels, 27 millimeter, or is it 28 millimeter? $6,000. Right. It's a $6,000 fixed lens, 28, 27. No, I mean, it's 35, isn't it? Or is it 20? Man. Crap. You're going to have to look this thing up. I'm looking it up right now. It's a 47.3 megapixels, 28 millimeter F1.7 camera. It's got an OLED back screen. I've never held a Leica digital camera before. And I was like, can, can I touch it? <laughs> Let me hold it. Take a picture or two. I think, oh, man, it's, it's, it's very like all like the controls are, you know, manual on the camera. It's very Fuji-like in that they try to make it so you don't have to go into the menu ever to do anything, mm-hmm. but more so. It's even yeah. more simplified. And it's not like you have an ISO dial and all this stuff on top. Nothing seems to be labeled, but you have all the wheels and everything you need to make your adjustments. The manual focus on it was really cool. But man, the thing, the thing only shoots in black and white. <laughs> That is that is next level hipster having oh, a monochrome only oh, camera. It's, it's too cool. When it's a six thousand dollar camera too, mm-hmm. like you're you're really committing to that life. It was it's is very solid. Yeah. So Man. what did you think? Like, do you want one now? Oh, I know you're not going to buy one because you don't spend money. But do you want one? I don't want a monochrome one. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's, I think. Let's say. I think. Man. Okay. So, I I want I want a full frame fixed lens camera super bad like i would i could totally see myself being a person who had an x100v or the future x100x but it's so similar to all the other you know camera stuff that i have as far as like my xt3 or an xt5 or whatever and i would want my little point and shoot to be different and so i want to be full frame so i want something like you know the um sony rx r x1 r r1 x i think that's the right yeah yeah uh, which also that crate that's crazy expensive. I mean, and so like this Leica one, pretty cool, twenty eight millimeter, you know, good focal length. But that Sumex lens on there is was pretty pretty slick. But let's say you had six thousand dollars, are you getting a color like a Q two, or are you getting a red Komodo? A red Komodo, one hundred percent. Come <laughs> that, on, that was quick. <laughs> I mean, I, I think this is like the coolest street photography camera. After having held one and like seeing how cool it is and how like nice the materials are and all that stuff. It's honestly too hipster for me. <laughs> I don't believe it. I, I just I, don't believe it. I like taking pictures and stuff, but I feel like I, I usually don't uh, advertise myself as a photographer because I've never, I've always felt I have a little bit of an imposter syndrome about photography. Uh, and so I'm like, I like to take pictures, I like to shoot photos. I don't mind editing them. I, I like, I take okay pictures. I'm not like the best. I'm way more of a video person. Uh, and so I'm never like, I'm a photographer and I do photography. This is not me. And I feel like if you can't honestly tell somebody that you do photography in scare quotes, you can't buy Leica. That's a, it's a bold take. I don't know. That's, just, that's, that's, that's how I felt after coming off it. Yeah. But yeah. After, after holding a monochrome, it would, like a Q2. I mean, how many people out there can say that they've held a monochrome like a Q2. Not very many. I mean, most people, if like you're going to spend $6,000 on a camera, you're not buying the black and white one unless you're like really into black and white photography. So this person you know actually owns both of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. And, Sold his entire and, Fuji kit for both. And doesn't it 
doesn't it strike you as interesting? He only had one with him, right? Yeah. It doesn't it strike you as interesting that the one he brought with him to that event was the black and white one? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like it's it's totally his jam. He takes phenomenal black and white pictures. So why would you not? Yeah. And he he knew he's like this is the shot I want to get today. Did he get it? No, he didn't get it. Oh man. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But like he was there. He had yeah. the tool. He was ready. He put himself in the position. Sometimes you get it, sometimes yeah. you don't. But that's what photography is about, Daniel. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> I subscribe to a different philosophy of photography, which is a broken clock's right twice a day. <laughs> if you have a high enough frame per second count on your camera, then you know you'll get the shot. Yeah. You'll, you'll be able to go through it and find it eventually. That's what I'm saying. Yep. I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, we're going to be talking about some pretty high frames per second cameras today. Oh, man. What a teaser. <laughs> Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back today to talk more about the gear we use for photo and video. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. All right, what do we got? Uh, we actually are starting with a legendary lens. It's been a while. We Did haven't it? had one of those mm-hmm. in a few weeks. This is the, uh, the sixth one that we're doing. Is that right? How many have you we done? tell me, man. It's your legendary lens list. I mean, we're we're going to a hundred. We are going to a hundred. Yep, there there will be one hundred of these. If we, if if this is number six, then we're six percent of the way there. This is not. This is number six. This is the sixth legendary lens on my list, and it's very it's appropriate because we started talking about Leica, and what's on my list here is the Leica Noctilux. Huh. Funny how that works. So I'm guessing with knocked at the beginning, it has something to do with darkness or light gathering, something like that. Exactly. I mean, you're obviously familiar with one of the other lenses on this list, which was the the Nikkor knocked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Lucas, I have been here for every show. So. Yeah, that's true. You sure have. Yeah, I'm keeping up with the Camera Gear podcast. It, it occurs to me that with all of the all the research that I did, I once again forgot to name this segment. <laughs> you were too busy looking up all these obscure statistics. If you if you were to go out there and you were like, man, what is the most what is the most legendary lens? This would be on that list. I mean, this list that we're doing, right? <laughs> but I'm just saying that this is up there. This is pretty well renowned. It's definitely in the top 100. If you said to yourself, if I want to buy the first Noctilux lens, if I want to go out there and buy that 1966, 1700 of them ever made, and I'm gonna buy it for my Leica camera, you know how much you're gonna pay for that thing? What am I looking at? Take a guess. Man, I don't even know. You're telling me there's only 1,700 of these things and they're made by Leica? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like $10,000. Maybe when you bought it new in 1966. So that was, ni- that was 1966 dollars? I think it was like 8,000 bucks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're mostly a collector item now, and you'll typically find them somewhere between forty and $70,000. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No lens is worth that much money. In 2008, 2009, they they actually remade this lens. They took the exact same optical formula lens layout and then built it with modern machinery. So how does it compare? Is that one as good? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's more consistent. This is the first lens ever made, like commercial lens, with aspherical elements. I may have said that about an FD lens previously. I was just gonna to go. say, that sounds a little, <laughs> little familiar. A lot of people seem to be making these claims. Okay, <laughs> I'm not saying that all my information is 100 percent accurate. Uh-huh. Yeah, but apparently, whenever they made they made this lens, it had two aspherical elements in it, which was a pretty stinking big deal at the time. This is back still whenever they were hand carving those aspherical elements. They didn't have a way to machine them yet. Yeah, they're definitely doing that in a cave with a box of scraps. Mm-hmm. This one specifically. They they had to like they designed this lens using a computer, which is pretty <laughs> which old. which did exist in 1966. Uh huh. <laughs> I thought that was that was kind of wild. Yeah, all those punch cards. Mm-hmm. And they only had one guy who was skilled enough on the machine to carve the the aspherical elements. Wow! Talk so about ge- a gentleman security. named Gerd Bergman hand carved every single aspherical element and all. 1,757 of these lenses. Oh, my gosh. That's that, it. Then that's it. He did it. That one guy. <laughs> Have you heard that there's a there's a guy at Rolls-Royce that paints the pinstripes? No. And I mean, like, a guy. 
It's like one guy. That's the guy. Like they fly him around the world, and he paints pinstripes on when people order that on their cars. That it, that's sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's the expert. That's that's the guy. So yeah. like that's the case here is they had one one uh, beveler that could do it. Yeah, man. So that's why this thing is like. It's crazy. Yeah. And, okay. you know, at the, they try, they wanted to make an F1.0 version because at this time, everyone was like, who can make this like, stupid fast lens? I mean, you think about the Noct. That was 1.2. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of had their version, but, like, this was the Leica version of the fast 1.2. Yeah, it has that Leica look, man. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. So, it, like, it vignettes a little bit. It looks, looks you know, really good. It's a Leica lens. 1.2 is fast. There have been four versions of this lens. They made in 1.0. In 1975. Okay, so we finally learned how to use that machine a little bit better. And no, made... that one, the the guy that designed it, I think his name was uh, Helmet Marks. <laughs> uh, real name, Helmet Marks. Uh, he designed, I think, the 1975 one, and that one they were able to do it without a spherical element. Oh, interesting. And so it was a much easier, cheaper, less complicated. It's going to have more spherical uh, you know aberrations mm-hmm. in it so it's not quite as clean as the original one yeah interesting but uh, they did it and that's the one that they made until 2008 they made th- that specific lens ran for that long so the is, that, amount. is that the the eight thousand dollar modern remake you're talking about no in okay. in 2008 they whenever they came out and i'm getting this a little mixed up they came out with another version recently which is a 0.95 Noctilux. I see. So it's even faster. But around 2008, they decided to bring back the formula because now you can do, you know, modern aspherical, blah, blah, blah. And like most lenses have a circle, and that's right. not a big deal. Right. I mean, it is a big deal. It's not a big deal. And that's whenever they said, they, you know, were like, okay, we don't have to go get GERD out from retirement to make these things. We can use a machine. Mm-hmm. Replaced his yeah. job with yep. AI or yep. whatever. GERD, GERD is now a robot. Yep, exactly. And they, they redid it. So you can buy copies of, and it actually performs pretty similar to the 1966 version. Interesting. Do you yeah. know what mount that lens was? It's, no, I don't. It's whatever the like amount was at Just the time. Just some kind of weirdo, I, I, weirdo thing that probably like screws on or something. No, it's not, it's not like M, M42 or anything. I think it was actually like Leica's L mount. I miss where you said the focal length of this lens. It's, uh yeah, it's sorry. I did, I did not say it. It is a 50 millimeter lens. Okay. So classic nifty 50 yep except that instead of 250 dollars, it's seventy five thousand. yeah well but also like you know whenever they came out with this thing 50 millimeter wasn't a common focal length was it not no like there was a lot of 55s 52s but not really a lot of 50s hmm. not okay. until like the 75 era i see was when we started seeing a lot of 50 millimeters come around i did not realize that yeah true story hmm. well that has been lucas's legendary lens list and we were talking about the Noctilux. Now we are 6% done. Yeah, and I was with... like, catchphrase here. I'm trying to think of what it would be. Maybe like, you get what you pay for? Um, sure. I don't know. We're going to workshop it. We'll come back. <laughs> we'll let you figure that one out for a while. All right. What's next on our list, Daniel? Uh, well, we've got a little bit of follow-up. No, we don't do follow-up I, on this podcast. Yeah, I know don't you do say, it. No follow-up, no that. corrections. Well, well. I'm I'm going to talk more about something that we talked about a few weeks ago. Mm-mm, so, I'm cutting this out. No, well, you. We uh, we talked about how Final Cut Pro is coming for the iPad and Logic Pro is coming as well. But for Final Cut Pro, it's only supported on the iPads with an M1 or newer. Turns out, the newest iPad Air actually also has an M1 chip. So as far as we know, if you have that newest iPad Air, you can also run Final Cut Pro. Yeah. Not a correction. Not a, no, no. We're just, just adding more information. You know? That's it. Yeah. More information. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nikon cast. It's been a while. You ready? It's a big deal. It really is. And we are the only people talking about this, I'm I, sure. I haven't heard anybody else talk about yeah. it. You know, I feel like what Nikon needs to do is either bring, maybe, maybe have a camp, bring everybody to it. Or maybe like send the cameras to people. I don't know. Are you familiar with uh, the popular channel uh, Gerald Undone? Um, I, I, I think I've heard of it. I don't think I, they sent him a camera. He had to like go get a camera. Yeah. Did you Did you hear why? Well, why? He did get one, finally, I think. But he didn't get a pre-release one because they had some deal where if you wanted to get a pre-release version of this camera we're about to talk about, they had to have a chaperone. 
Oh, with, that's with right. You had to have like a person. I and, forgot about that. And I'm like, is this like a middle school dance? What's what's the deal? Like, why do you need a chaperone? Like, what are you going to do with this camera, Gerald? Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't let him take a pre-release camera. So I think he was getting one after the release. I think he has one now. He's not released his video. I don't know if they gave him that or if he got it from his local camera store. I don't know what the, what the deal was, but it's kind of weird. This camera, which is the Nikon Z8, very impressive. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I made a joke earlier about how people, uh, about how you were the only ones talking about it, but I've actually seen quite a bit of coverage about this camera, and people seem pretty excited about it being I, released. I feel like the coverage has been not as like the Sony ZV-E1 had a bigger splash than this. Well, yeah, but it's a Sony. I mean, I, I'm I'm grading on a curve here. But that's like, like that's I, my complaint. Is like, why can't Nikon come out here and you know, litter everybody with cameras and like get get that coverage and get that movement mm. i feel like you know with everyone who's like cares about video specs and like really cool cameras this has a lot of you know eye popping features yeah i mean this could this could hit really hard but i feel like i feel like it's it's maybe not hitting as hard as as i thought it would it, it feels like the blame is probably a little bit on both sides because i mean we make a lot of jokes about how we can't remember what nikon's up to and i think that some of it is that people in our world don't really think about Nikon as much like in terms of video. And so like we, we don't think to talk about them as much. I mean, you and I do, but yeah, but people like us, well, this is the Nikon cast indeed. But the other part of it, like you said, is that Nikon just doesn't seem like they do as good of a job of, of getting the word out there. And maybe they've just focused on a different market. Yeah. I don't really see that many YouTubers that are you know, getting Nikon stuff sent to them and covering Nikon. And, you know, you have to imagine that some of that is, uh, some of that's on Nikon. You are, you, you may or may not know this. My dad shoots on a Nikon Z6. I did know that. And, uh, and your, your dad is a photographer. He, you know, you were talking before about how you don't feel like you're a photographer. He, he does photography. Yeah, your dad does photography. For sure. He was asking me about the Z8. He was like, Lucas, should I really buy a Z8 right now? My camera can't shoot 20 frames per second. Yeah. What'd, no. you, what'd you say? I was like, you know, if you do it in crop mode, you can shoot 120 frames per second. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. No, I told, I was like, I know what you shoot. I know your, your like your bracket style, shoot HDR, landscape stuff, like yeah, macro. Your, your dad's making like Thomas Kincaid paintings, but with his Nikon camera. Yeah, like I know what he shoots and he needs to buy a secondhand Z7 Mark II for 1700 bucks, and like save the money, get the 45 megapixels. Yeah. And he's going to be happy with it, honestly. I, I would, I'm like, this is a really cool camera. It's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go through it. Let's talk about uh, what's in the Nikon Z8. All right. Do you remember the Nikon Z9 came out about 18 months ago? I, I don't remember it because it's an Nikon product, and that was before we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I mean, that's their most recent camera. Like the camera, Nikon's mm-hmm. just not not releasing cameras. And but, Anyways, but we've we've mentioned it on this show because it's a really impressive camera. It's really impressive. I mean, the, whenever the Nikon Z9 came out, it was like the Z9 and then the Sony A1, and it was like, look at these bad boys. They mm-hmm. are 45, 60 megapixel stacked full frame sensor cameras yep. that have these insane readout speeds, and because of that, they can do things like shooting 8k uncropped and then these crazy burst rates and it's like stack sensors are the future yeah because of how fast they read out and nikon's like hold my beer ours doesn't even have a shutter it's that good <laughs> and everyone's like but what about rolling shutter and they're like well how about we take you to a motorcycle track and like let you shoot pictures of stuff and show you how good the rolling shutter yeah, performance the is the sensor's just that fast it's insane it's like crazy crazy good and so the z8 is the z9 but cheaper and without the battery grip. Yeah, there there's very few changes between the cameras. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of differences, but they're very minor. Yeah, I mean, like they took they took the whatever it was, you know, eighteen months between the two, and they just pushed the specs down the line. Yeah, and that I mean mm-hmm. that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And so this is this is their this isn't their flagship, I guess. The Z9 is still technically the flagship, right. but I mean this is competing directly with the Canon R5. Mm-hmm. And the Sony A1, I guess, or maybe I would say it's competing with the A7R5 because that's their 63 megapixel high resolution photo camera. Yeah, I guess that's about right. This is more of like this is an action camera and a high resolution Mm -hmm. still camera, and it has better video specs than the A7R5. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's unique, but it does sort of compete with those. 
yeah, so I'm going to run through the specs now. It's it's I mean this is it's just a crazy hybrid camera. So it's a 45.7 megapixel full frame backside illuminated stacked sensor Do you made, know by, who, made by Sony. Okay, I was about to ask who makes it. So it's, Sony. It's, yeah, so Sony makes them all. There was a rumor that Nikon was going to start making their own sensor. Uh, but this one is still that same Sony sensor. Okay. And it has the same X-Speed 7 processor in it, which has been a pretty good processor. Uh, it has the same rolling shutter performance. You know, I think with photo, it's somewhere around 4.9 milliseconds. Very few cameras are faster than that. Uh, one of them, Fujifilm X-H2S. <laughs> Camera of the year, 2022. Fuji, Fujicast. Fujicast. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it has a, you know, broad ISO, ISO 64 to ISO 25600. It can be extended to... 102,400. So that doesn't quite have the sensor sensitivity performance of something like a Sony camera. Those A7R4, A7R5, A1, those things are, they're a whole stop brighter before you even get into extended ISO range, I think. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like you're going to see it on the video side, this doesn't have the same dynamic range. A lot of those are pushing 12 and a half, 13 ish stops. This one's sitting somewhere somewhere around 12, a little over 12 stops of dynamic range in video. Okay. So you are losing some dynamic range. You're getting 14-bit RAWs out of this thing. That's Nikon's deal. But uh, it's you know, like decent ISO range, but not quite the same, you know, sensor performance right. out of a Sony. Okay. Uh, what, what else here? No electronic shutter, or sorry, no mechanical shutter, as I said. It's just all electronic. I think it still works out pretty good. It doesn't black out the eyepiece whenever you shoot. Uh, that's a kind of a thing whenever, you know, at least it was a few years back, right? Whenever you're shooting with electronic shutter, uh, whenever it captures, it stops feeding signal to mm-hmm. the to the viewfinder and it feeds it to the sensor. This one doesn't do that. It just keeps feeding. I think they call it like a dual stream EVF or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, uh, and I assume it's the same deal as the, the Z9. The Z9 with the firmware 2.0, you could do 120 frame per second shutter. And so I think, shut, not shutter, but uh refresh on the evf okay uh-huh. and so i think you get the same deal here 120 frame per second cool. evf option what uh you mentioned a little bit about the the burst rate on this camera but what is it with that yeah so i think it, it, if you're shooting like raw plus jpeg 20 frames per second uh, that's about yeah. that's about average if you like pretty good like it's pretty good especially I mean, for full frame yeah 45 megapixel full frame <laughs> yeah most of your like other full frames i think are still sitting in the 11 12 13 15 kind of range uh, so this is on the on the good end, but if you shoot like 11 megapixel JPEGs with crops, I mean, you can get that thing up to like 120 frames per second photo. <laughs> it's absolutely that's ridiculous. Nuts. It yeah. is, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, if you need to capture an action shot, I mean, I guess that's 11 megapixels is pretty low, but you would definitely get the shot. Yeah, sure. You, you sure would. And they're bringing over the the pre, pre-shot feature, which, you know, a lot of cameras have that. All my, my, Both my Fuji cameras have it, you know, Sony's have it, where it's going to buffer for a second before you you shoot well but what's different about this one is that you're always shooting in electronic shutter yeah yeah you don't have to switch modes yeah that pre-release thing wouldn't work with a mechanical shutter correct so i mean it's kind of like this is how all smartphones work now they're just constantly taking pictures and then whenever you press the shutter button like it takes the picture but i mean that's that's a cool feature that feels like a modern thing yeah it's it's a nice feature to have especially shooting action that sort of thing Mm mm-hmm it's a bigger camera. It's like your D750s because we all know exactly how big a D750 oh, is. Oh, yeah, man. I know everything about Nikon cameras. Yeah, yep. except it doesn't have the battery grip. So, like, it's it's not quite as heavy as the Z9 because, you know, you don't have the battery grip. Mm-hmm. But you can buy battery grip for it. And you may want to because this has the smaller batteries. It has the same battery as the Z7 and the Z6 Mark II and Mark I. At whatever, whatever that battery is. I can't even remember the name of it. Uh, but it, you're looking at maybe like 300, 350 shots rated oh, on that battery. That's a, that's a little low. Yeah, it's not it's not great. So you're probably going to want more batteries or the battery grip. It's just it doesn't have the same, you know, longevity as the Z9. Yeah, but the trade off is that it's a smaller camera. Right, and but then like I was talking to a guy shooting on a Z7 Mark II at Ren Faire, and he had the battery grip, so he had three batteries in it. These are the same batteries, and he was doing you know, 1,200 to 2,000 shots yeah. uh, without having to recharge anything. So, yeah, a lot of times those rated shot numbers seem a little low. That's that. And those shots are going to be saved on CF Express or SD card. Okay. Uh, I think that the Z9 had dual CF Express cards. I think this that's right. This one is CF Express or SD. I think it's really nice to see SD back into a Nikon camera. Uh, the Z7 and the Z6, I think, were one CF Express card only. 
And you know, if you're if you're trying to save money on storage, not having an SD is kind of kind yeah. of a bummer. Yeah, I, I love using a CF Express card. I'm so happy I have one, but a lot of times I do still want to shoot SD, and I only own one CF Express card. And so if I need to be able to shoot longer, bigger projects, it's nice to be able to use the SD cards I already have. Yeah, I think one of the bummers about this one having an SD card slot is that you don't have dual CF Express. That is a, that is a and bummer. And a lot of these, you know, fast stack sensor features that you get, you know, these huge burst rates, shooting 8K60, shooting raw internal, all this cool stuff, you basically have to shoot that either externally or to a CF Express. Mm-hmm. And so if you have like a pro workflow where you need like dual copies of things, you're essentially cutting off features of your camera because your dual recording has to go to a, an SD card. Yeah, that's, so you, a, that's a problem. You're boxed in, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I guess like maybe you spend the extra $1,500 and get a Z9 at that point. Yeah. Because this one's coming in at $4,000. Pretty it's good a, price. It's a lot of camera for that money, which yeah. I guess like we still need to get to the rest of this. Let's talk about video a little bit. 8K60 RAW. 4K 60 oversampled. Uh, I think you got 4K 120. It has N-Log. Uh, I believe you can shoot like HLG, HDR. They did a, they were able to bring the ISO performance down on N-Log. I think that previously N-Log was like ISO 800 as a base. It looks like that you can extend that down to ISO 200. Huh. I would assume that that's going to crush your dynamic range a little bit. Haven't seen any like testing or anything on it, but usually like you're, you have that higher ISO for your log profile, so you can get a higher ceiling sure. to get the dynamic range. So that is maybe a, a trade-off, but maybe welcome for people who don't have ND. I mean, that is a useful thing because I know we've been on some projects where the ISO that we were having to shoot at was kind of limiting. So yep. it's nice being able to bring that down if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's good. It seems like the the common consensus on this N-Log profile is they have this cool sensor, they have this stack sensor, and it probably has maybe a little more dynamic range capability than what N-Log will allow. Mm, interesting. Like they, they, it seems like they maybe need like an N-Log 2 or something, something that's got like a bigger dynamic range, kind of like your, your S-Log 3 or F-Log 2 kind of thing. Where right. It's like, this is for, you know, these big dynamic range situations. Then here's one that's better for like daylight or smaller dynamic range or that sort of thing. That makes sense. For the, the Z9, which has the same sensor, and the Gerald has a video where he pulled in the raw files into DaVinci Resolve. And then whenever you have the raw, you can you can bring it out, send it out as linear gamma, and then color space transform it into whatever log profile you need. And so like you can convert N raw into like Airy log C3 or some other kind of gamma. Oh, that's cool. It doesn't really improve the dynamic range. The sensor just kind of can do what it can do. It may but it may just like work better with your workflow or something. Right. Yeah. Maybe like you it's less harsh or maybe you like the roll off of the highlights a little differently. So like if you are shooting in raw and you don't like the way N-Log looks, I mean, this gives you gives you opportunity to make make it what you want. Yeah. Neat. So that's all cool. You, uh, you kind of teased there that you can shoot raw on this camera. I know you could on the I mean, Z9. I've mentioned it like a thousand times at this point, but yeah, you can shoot, you can shoot raw internally. That's cool. And that's, you know, ProRes 4, I think it's ProRes 422. I guess it, it's, yeah, I don't think it's 444HQ. Well, but, those are different things. ProRes HQ is different than RAW. True, but I guess like yeah, you're right. I'm 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 talking about codecs. It would be you can shoot ProRes RAW, or you can shoot N RAW. Yeah, I think you get okay. both options here. Cool. And if you're going into Resolve, you ProRes RAW isn't supported at Resolve, unfortunately. So mm. having N, uh, N RAW is available. That's cool, and it can do it all the way up to 8K60, which wow. is insane. A- internal. Internal. Yeah, I'm like, what other cameras can shoot 8K 8K60 right now? Yeah, I don't know if there are any. I mean, like there, there are right, like, but it's all cinema cameras. Yeah, like the the R five C doesn't do it. The uh, the A nine maybe does it. A nine A one does not. Eight K thirty. Yeah, so I mean, like this is as like class leading. Yeah, class leading, right? So pretty cool. I mean, it's not a new feature. The Z nine's been doing it for a year and a half. Sure. Not like anyone cares. <laughs> yeah, not like anybody knows that exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like it's it's doing all this in ten bit. It's pulling twelve bit off the sensor. Uh, it's not doing a fourteen bit readout like the XH2S, which is why the XH2S has two stops better dynamic range than this camera, even when it's shooting raw. Uh, you know, it's got IBIS built in, pretty good EVF, looking at three point six nine million dots. So like not class leading for the EVF, but pretty good. And full-size HDMI port. It's got two USB-C ports. Why does it have two? Well, you got one so you can fast charge. 
Because like you're shooting all these crazy codecs, you got to be charging, man. Yeah, and you don't have a battery grip, mm-hmm. right? And, but then maybe you want to also send it out over Ethernet, or you want to like plug an accessory in. Well, there you go. That's pretty cool. I yeah. wonder. I wonder if you can just get like a USB C to Ethernet adapter and just plug it in. Yeah. So you don't have to buy a thousand dollar file transmitter grip like you do on the XH2S. Well, the XH2S is doing uh, camera to cloud. This is this is this is different. Okay. This is like if you're sending it to uh, to a stream out to like an IP camera board or something okay. like that. Okay. So. I guess I'll cut them a little bit of slack. Yeah. No flippy screen. It's a tilty photographer screen because this is for mm. doing photography. Not yeah, for, I mean it's it's Nikon, right? Despite the fact that it does you know shoot stinking eight K sixty, it's definitely a video camera. Yeah. They add they have has like I think it has all the all the cool video features you might want. Doesn't have shutter angle, but. Uh, it has it has like waveforms that you can add and resize. It'll do the little red box around your screen. It has different like video modes for shooting, so you can control better like what shows up on your external recorders. I mean, it's great. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. I feel like I'm like been listing specs for like 35 yeah. minutes. Well, I mean, it seems like it does a lot. You you kind of touched on the price. You said it's four thousand dollars. Yep. And the Z9 is fifty five hundred dollars. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It was six thousand whenever it launched, um, but now it's it's, it's kind of come down. So you can get yeah. that one for about fifty five hundred. I mean, bucks. It, it it feels to me like if you're a person who shoots Nikon and you've kind of been looking at the Z nine, you've been wishing you had the Z nine, but you don't want to spend that much money. It feels like Nikon just basically said, "All right, cool. Like we'll give you a smaller one that happens to be cheaper and really doesn't have that many compromises." I mean, it feels like a total win for Nikon shooters who would have been you know, looking at buying a camera that expensive. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And I just, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I'm trying to think about what competes with this, right? And I mean, you're looking at something like maybe the A7R5, or if you're comparing video specs, maybe you're looking at, I don't know, the, the A7 Three A7S three maybe, but like the A7S three is that's it's totally different, right? Yeah, You're talking a twelve a megapixel sensor that's like a low light beast. I would think you'd be comparing to like the Canon R five or the R five C maybe yeah, or both, I guess, because you know the video specs are better than the R five C, and you can run without having it powered to a wall. Mm-hmm. And then your photo specs are very competitive with the R five. Yeah, I mean it's for most people. I feel like it's going to come down to lenses. You know, like. Do you have Canon lenses already? If so, then, you know, the, the total cost of this camera would be higher. But, I mean, if you're new and don't have any any investment in lenses, then this seems like a pretty good value. Yeah, and the lens lineup for this is a mixed bag. So, I think that there are third-party Z-mount lenses. And like we saw, Sigma brought their APS-C line to Nikon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this would be full frame and that sort of thing. But there are some third-party Z-mounts, you know, Nikon's, uh, Tamron Sigma, that sort of thing. Uh, Nikon has a pretty good range of decently priced lenses. They have some, like a 24 to 70 F4 that's like super cheap. It's like 600 bucks or something. So like they have a lot of really good lens options that are fairly inexpensive. Where it gets a little weird is you can adapt the F-mount. Uh, Nikon's old F mount to the Z mount, mm-hmm. and Nikon will sell you an adapter for it. But if you're adapting third party F mount lenses to Z mount, they don't always work. Interesting. And it's there's no like update or anything for it. And hmm. my, my dad ran into this where he had here, oh, I have this crazy zoom that's for F mount, but it's only manual focus whenever I connect it to my Z6. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So you kind of have to deal with that. But beyond that, I mean, there's, I think they have all the lenses that you need. They have that new 85 uh, 1.4. That's like seventy pounds, yeah, and costs eight thousand dollars. We talked about that one a while back. Yeah, we did. I think I mean that one. That one's out in the world. So yeah, I mean like it's it's a great system. Like it has all the features. It's a good price. I don't think it, like who's gonna buy this thing. It it's cool that you can uh, buy the battery grip for it and basically have like a modular Z nine. Yeah. You know, you're missing a few little things. Like you don't get the uh, the two CF Express slots, but like you know, pretty pretty similar. Sure, yeah, but you you kind you kind of have all the features, mm. and I'm like I'm trying to like how much does a how much does an R5 cost? I think it's like uh thirty five thirty six hundred something like that. Yeah, right about right about thirty four hundred that sort of thing, and then an A7R5 costs what? Right about four thousand dollars. Okay, so that means right. price wise, that's direct competition. Yeah, so I mean it's I don't know like 
would would you pick this over the Sony or the Canon option? Oh man, you know it, it's so hard because I mean I feel like on paper this looks so good. You know it it beats all those other cameras, but I feel like as we know from doing this stuff, it's not all about what it is on paper. You know, like the feeling of using any of these cameras is just so different. Like with how the menus are, how the you know the interface is, you know buttons, lenses, like. There's a lot more that goes into it that you can't really get from a spec sheet. And that's, if anything, that's what would give me pause. I try to get excited about this thing. And honestly, I have a little trouble getting excited about it. Despite being one of the co-hosts of the Nikon cast. It's just, I don't know. It's like, this is everything you could want out of a hybrid camera. 4000 bucks for this thing is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's such a good price. And like the video specs are competing with, you know, any of those $6,000 cameras that you might be looking at like a Komodo or a Kinfinity or that sort of thing like it it can do all this stuff maybe the rolling shutter performance in video isn't as good as something like an X-H2S and but like it's this is kind of a a fantastic hybrid camera that most people should consider and I think that most people aren't going to unless they're already in the Nikon ecosystem I think that's right I mean part of the problem is that people probably aren't jumping to a new ecosystem for a high-end camera I mean, there are some exceptions, but I feel like, you know, it's more at the lower ends that you'd see somebody, you know, willing to try a new thing. Like, I, I feel like the main person that would buy this is somebody who already already is using Nikon, you know, somebody who has a Z6 or a Z7, wants, wants something better. But I got to say, what I thought was really interesting about this is that I, I feel like Nikon is adopting a Fuji strategy here. Because when I saw that they released this and they've got this Z8 that has the same feature set as the Z9 in a smaller body... You know, everybody's like, wow, this is crazy. Like, why did they not, you know, cut things out, you know, and separate these products more? That's exactly what Fuji does. They use the same sensor in, you know, a wide range of cameras and they try to not limit features unless they have to. And so it kind of lets you pick like, what is the form factor I want? Those cameras are often even at different price points. So you can get like a cheaper and more expensive camera that have the same image quality and a lot of similar features. And this feels like the same thing from Nikon. And that's an approach I like. So I think that's cool. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think that, you know, Fuji is always differentiating based upon like form factor. And this feels like it's almost the same form as the Z9, but I guess it is a little smaller. You got the, the grip that's modular. I do wonder whenever, what are they going to do when they refresh the Z7 or the Z6? The Z6 is obviously going to be a lower megapixel sensor, but the Z7, do you think they're going to bring the same sensor down to the Z7 whenever, whenever they renew it to the I mean, Mark III? I feel like probably not just because they, you know, it, it's still like a really high end sensor. And I mean, it feels like how cheap could they, how cheap could they really make this stuff, right? Like, you know, they, they, they still have to have some sort of separation in their lineup and they can only make these cameras so cheap. But I mean, I could maybe see them having, you know, two sensors or something like that. You know, they've got like this high end one for the Z8 and Z9. And then maybe they have like a lower end sensor that they used in the Z6 and Z7. I don't know. Yeah. And like, what did the Z7 Mark II release at? Wasn't it like $3,500 or something? I feel like it was pretty expensive. I don't remember exactly. I mean, what does it was. this. Does this replace the Z7 Mark II or is that just, that's a smaller form factor camera. And so you're, you're looking at like a smaller body, but mm. maybe, maybe cuts down on aspects because of heat. Yeah, it, it, that probably is a factor. I mean, you know, all things being equal, I like having a smaller camera. It's a little bit easier to travel with and all that. I mean, if I was picking between the two, I'd probably get the Z8 over the Z9. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know enough about the Z7 Mark II to know how it factors into that decision. Well, I'm thinking of more of like the Z7 Mark III because the Mark II is a couple of years old at this point. Right. And I mean, you can still buy it for like 2600 bucks new. You can probably find it used for less than that. And it's it's just a slower, slower camera. It's got 47 megapixels. It doesn't quite have the video spec performance. Still has the mechanical shutter, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, you know, what? It, how are they gonna? How are they gonna shake out this line in the future? It feels like. Nikon has been slow, sl- so slow to roll out competitors to everybody. I mean, the, the the A whatever the Z9 was the last big thing that they made, and that was it feels like that was eighteen months ago. <laughs> yeah, and not like the, you don't have to be Sony and be releasing a camera every three months. I know that's not sustainable and it's a little ridiculous. But Nikon's Nikon used to be like the number two camera vendor out there, yeah. and like they're slowly losing ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird that they seem to be just a little bit slower to the punch than everybody else but it's funny though that we say that because we say that they're slow to release stuff and then at the same time the video specs on this camera are like nothing can match it 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so it's like, and nothing it's can almost, match it. And also, it's been in the Z9 for the last year, yeah. October 2021. So, you know, 18 months. It's almost like they optimize for the wrong thing. Like they make these really impressive cameras, but it feels like they could make them slightly less impressive and release them six months or a year sooner. And it would probably mm-hmm. like be more impactful. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't understand why. It's not more in the conversation. And maybe like I'm just in the wrong circles and, you know, this Nikon people are over here and they're just being Nikon people. I mean, your dad knew about it. I mean, yeah. My dad's on like, it's. I think he's on weird places on the internet. So sometimes he's like, have you heard about this thing? I'm like, what? 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 No. What? <laughs> he's on a different internet than you. Yeah, he, he, he is. He's on Nikon internet. Yeah. So, I don't know. Really great. Really cool. Not, not, not going to get one. I don't know. I want to see more coverage on this thing. I yeah. want to see, I want to see it blow up a little bit. I want people to be like, oh shoot, man, I'm going to sell my, sell my Sony and go switch to Nikon. I want to see those YouTube videos popping up. I I would love to see YouTubers talking about Nikon more. Yeah. I, I think it doesn't get enough, uh, for the video specs, it doesn't get enough coverage. Yeah. I mean, whenever the Z6 came out, they pushed real hard with the whole, like, this can shoot raw external to a recorder. Yeah. Oh, because it was like the and, first camera that could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's kind of the same thing here of like, look at all these great video specs, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just not paying attention enough. I just, I want this to splash harder. I think this is a really, really cool camera at a really great price. They got a good lens ecosystem. I mean, it's, it's a good option. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Interesting. Not something I'm going to buy, but I don't know. I, I hope it does. I hope it goes somewhere. Yeah. Well, are you are you going to buy this next camera that we're going to talk about? I'm absolutely not going to buy the next camera we're talking it about. Is, it is better than the Z8 though, right? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I don't know which camera you're talking about. Well, the next one here we already talked about. And then the one down below it is the Canon PowerShot V10. (laughs) (laughs) The Canon PowerShot V10. Yeah, this one came out um, sometime within the past couple of weeks. And this is a really weird camera. So you may remember many years ago, like, you know, in the ancient age of like 2009, there were these flip video cameras that people had where it was like you could you could hold it vertically like a cell phone, but it had a better video camera than that. Oh, yeah, like the Kodak one? Yeah, well, like the Kodak one. But mm-hmm. There was a specific one called Flip Video, and you know, really, really popular. And it was supposed to be like this casual, like vloggy-type camera thing. And, you know, it was, it was popular in 2009. They eventually went away. Nobody's heard of them since yeah, then. Yeah, I remember those things. Those things were super cool. Yeah. And Canon was like, what if we remade that? And so they released this Canon PowerShot V10. It's sort of like a modern take on that. It's $430. It has a 20.9 megapixel one-inch sensor, but it's kind of a caveat with that, that it only uses 13.1 megapixels for video and 15.2 for a photo. So, you know, sensor's not great, but like, let's say it's, you know, it's bigger than what you'd have in your phone. It has a 19 millimeter f2.8 fixed lens. Can shoot 4K 30. What's the crop on a one inch sensor? 35 uh, millimeter equivalent. So it's roughly two. Well, it's it's bigger than it's a bigger crop than Micro Four Thirds. Yeah, I'm just looking at this spec page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, anyways, go on. Yeah. One interesting thing about the camera is that when you hold it vertically, like you know, as if you're using your cell phone normally. It, it films horizontally. It's really okay. unusual. Sure. I mean, anything we can do to get people to stop shooting vertical <laughs> video, it does, for it. It does feel like they're trying to like like hint people toward that, right? I'm looking at the spec sheet. This thing has high-quality stereo microphones and beautiful skin tones. Oh, it's got, those, mean, it's got those Canon colors, right? Yeah, I mean, you just look at it and like this, the, the, the camera itself is just flesh-toned. it's it's gorgeous (laughs) just like blends into your hand yep (laughs) that's not true but you should take a picture of it and it would just follow the skin line on your vector oh my gosh that's weird it's got a uh, two inch screen that's flippy uh, so it can flip 180 degrees because you're definitely filming yourself if you own this camera but here's what i don't get about this from what i've seen and just like looking at these specs this camera is not better than using your phone camera 
You don't think so? I, is it better than using a $500 phone camera? Now, that that might be the case. But, you know, you can't use this as your phone. So you're, you're going to have a phone and this. And I just can't figure out why you would get this over buying, like, a nicer smartphone. And then you've got, you know, front and back camera built in. You can, you know, record and edit your footage on the phone, upload it you know, like to whatever service you're using all from one device. Like to me, that's a much more compelling use case. And so I don't understand that. I also think it's really weird that they made it film horizontally whenever you hold it vertically, because like try, try as you and I might to get people to switch to using horizontal video, people that are uploading like TikTok and Instagram and stuff are shooting vertical video because that's what those platforms want. So do you have to, you have to hold this thing sideways to shoot vertical video? You would video? have to hold it sideways to shoot vertical video but, and But then do you are do you have to then rotate it in post? I guess yeah, I guess so. Well, maybe it has the, you know, sometimes cameras have the little sensor where where it knows what orientation you're holding it in, so maybe it fixes that for you, but it just doesn't make sense to me. This feels like the perfect situation to have used a square sensor, you know, or like an open gate type thing. If they wanted to let you shoot both aspect ratios while holding it upright, that would have been awesome. But I don't understand this choice. Like if you're making a vlog camera, you you know, you, you need to embrace vertical video. And that's uh, that's not what they did. I'm having trouble seeing why you wouldn't just pay the extra money and go with something like a ZV-E10 over this. You get a much bigger sensor. It's also fixed lens, but you get the flippy screen. You can buy the handle. It's got mm-hmm. a little microphone thing on top. I mean, that's this is this is a weird a weird product. It and is. I don't understand it. It is, and like when I first saw it, when I saw the announcement of it and saw a picture of it, I thought it was cool. I was like, "This is great!" Like, we, you know, we're gonna get more casual cameras that are gonna let regular people that want to make vlogs have better quality. You know, get some like real camera features. I thought that idea had a lot of promise. But the implementation of this, I just don't get. Like I, like I said, I don't understand why you wouldn't use your phone. Or as you said, you know, why not get something like a ZV-E10 or a ZV-1 or something? I mean, it just, it's just in a weird spot. I don't know. It exists. They released it. How much? You said it was, it was 500 bucks? 430. 430? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's for somebody. Yeah. You'll, you, you swing into Best Buy. You buy this puppy. <laughs> I don't know. Not for us. Not for us. Maybe for somebody. What For some reason, what this did remind me of is the Sony Xperia 1V. What's that? It's a, it's a cell phone. Have you seen this thing? I you know I, I I know Sony makes cell phones and I know that their Xperia phones usually have like some interesting camera specs, but it's never on my radar as like a a phone I can consider. I mean, do I, they even sell them in the US? Uh yeah, you can buy it for the US. It's going to cost you like $2,000. Oh it's gosh. like super super expensive. I can't remember if this is the one that you can use as a camera monitor, like you can just use it as a camera monitor for your Sony camera, but it has a 1.35 inch sensor. Oh wow. So, so bigger big, than this thing. Bigger than this thing. And you can shoot an S any tone. <laughs> you can use it as a B cam on your pro shoots. I'm just saying, dude, this, this Xperia, uh, whatever V V one is like, it's basically a Sony alpha camera, but in your cell phone, huh. which is what I've been saying is what they need to do forever. Yeah. It here is, we are. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it doesn't come out until next year. Hmm. And it's going to be like two thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a that's a uh, a downer. I'm into it. I want it. Next phone. I I, I was going to get the Pixel Fold. I'm actually going to get this now. I do feel like at some point we need to see a, a camera that has like a built-in cell radio in it. You know, like I guarantee you, there are people that would pay the ten dollars a month or whatever to get data on that and be able to just upload stuff to their cloud storage. Do you remember the, the Galaxy camera? Uh, no. I mean, how could I forget though? You know, Samsung only releases like 600 phones a year, right? God, that was from, that was from forever ago, but it was basically a, a point and shoot camera with Android on it. I see. Well, there was that, uh, there was that Zeiss thing a while back too. Oh yeah. That was interesting. So, yeah. I would, I'd like something like that. Maybe. I don't know. It's like, I think that, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the discussion on this whole, you know, why aren't cameras cell phones? It, it comes down to power and like the trade-offs that you're making in order to, build a camera like having bluetooth or wi-fi or that sort of thing that can do the things that a cell phone can do just requires so much more power so much more processing and just they don't have the batteries for it and like you'd have to make so many different trade-offs the cameras would be huge yeah we're just not there yet yeah i guess you're right maybe someday i mean some companies maybe would maybe we'll just build it into a grip 
charge you a thousand bucks and you can slap the grip on there. Some companies might do that. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, release a 4.0 firmware update and call it 4.0. And then just that's the only thing they can do. Not that we're bitter. No, nope, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not entitled. <laughs> Whatever. So, Lucas, we've spent this whole episode talking about stuff that we think is cool that we're never going to buy. I feel like before we go, I want you to talk about something that you're interested in that's coming out that you think you might get. Do we have anything like that on our list? No, but I definitely want to talk about like all of these things still. <laughs> can, can we? This has been on here for like three weeks. Can we talk about this moment tuner lens thing? All right, let's talk about it. Okay, like why does this exist? <laughs> well, what is it? Let's okay. start with there. Okay, it's so, been on there for three weeks, and mo- I don't remember. Moment has this adapter that they've come out with. And you can use it to adapt EF glass to your RF or E mount, I believe. So I think it's, I think it's only those two, and you're just adapting EF lenses, and it is a variable vintage look thing. Yeah, it's like you're not changing. It's not like a variable ND, but you're changing something about the qualities it, of the lens. Yeah, or the look so of the lens. so like you might go out and like stare at Tiffin's filter triangle for a couple hours and then be like man i think like i want this much hellation and i want this much smoke and like this much you know softening and then you buy a filter and then you're like swapping filters the idea behind this is that it goes on the back of the lens adapts to the camera and then it has a, a dial on it and then as you turn it it will change the amount of effect that you get as far as like softening and halation and that sort of thing. Weird. Yeah. And so it's like you can get this vintage look in quotes here and you can, up, you can, how do they put it? You can like increase the intensity of the vintageness. <laughs> increase the vintage. It's like, it's like. We know you have these really good lenses. Like maybe you have a like an EF seventy to two hundred that is like the sharpest, cleanest, most beautiful two point eight lens you've ever seen. You can adapt it to your camera and then make it look bad. But if it doesn't look bad enough, you just turn the dial, and make it look worse. I mean, I I gotta say though, Lucas, that sounds like something you would be into. It sounds like something I would be into. Honestly, I think this is like really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think that? I don't know. I, I get I like vintage lenses and I you know the character and blah 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 blah. And it's cool like some of the aberration and stuff that you get, but this just feels too on the nose, too full circle. Like these lens engineers are trying their darndest so that whenever they release a lens, it's like there's just no longitudinal chromatic aberration there's no spherical chromatic aberration and the lenses are just like super sharp and they can resolve to 60 100 megapixels and they're these incredible lenses and people are like but what if what if it did look bad yeah what, I if, just, I, what if i just put some vaseline on it the just front it just doesn't glow enough i don't <laughs> it doesn't have enough scratches on it i just don't i want it to be tinged green can you irradiate it <laughs> A couple of things I thought about this. One, it's very expensive. I can't remember. $1,000. Yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that price is just like, this This could be fun as a lark if it was 50 bucks, but man, $1,000, it's like, this is a serious part of your kit. I think what gets me about it is that I feel like, you know, obviously vintage lenses are a big deal. I mean, you talk about the legendary lenses and, you know, a lot of people like shooting on vintage glass, but feel like this misses the point a bit because it's fake it's like if if you're gonna use this thing then why not just use a filter in software you know yeah i think that the idea here is that and i agree with it that software is never going to give you the same look if you want to have that if you're trying to like mimic film or something and you want this a uh, hellation look and you want to like the reds to split just right as the like when your highlight highlight edge lit type scenes like you just you you can fake it to a certain point in post but it's never going to be exactly the same as if you really shot on film or you mm. really had a filter that caused that sort of diffraction mm-hmm. diffraction is the wrong word but point is like you kind of have to do it optically and i get like that's why this is there is like you know it gives you the ability to kind of get that look out of a more broad variety of lenses or lenses that actually have autofocus but at the same time, like, 
I don't know. I, it just it feels it feels less less authentic and it feels fake. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's basically how I feel too. But I don't know. Weird product. Yeah, it's fine. I'm. I guess it's you know it's cool to see camera stuff or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this just this just isn't for me. That's, I guess that's why I'm non non plus on it. Definitely interesting. Yeah, but I would much rather like just shoot on a vintage lens. Like mm-hmm. I have that Helios forty four two. Like that's cool, you know. Shoot on that, you kind of get that look, and it's, and it feels, it feels like it would scratch that nostalgic itch more than something that just kind of looks it. I agree, and that's on. I think it's on Kickstarter right now. Is that right? Yeah, and the Kickstarter may be done at this point. Yeah, uh, and I, I mean, like it's going to come out. I can't decide how I feel about the whole like people trying to make things look like film. I mean. I do it. I'll use <laughs> yeah, like let's be real here. So like, you know, in like Resolve has those film simulations built in, which are really because you you scan film and when you scan film, you scan it into Cineon and then you have to convert it to a to a Rick 709 profile and that sort of thing. But like you can use those things to kind of make that filmy, filmy look. And I like the way film looks. I like the noise and the way the resolution is. And you can just tell that it's different. And it's just it's like a different aesthetic. But I mean, modern sensors are are better. I'm just gonna say it. Better than film sometimes. <laughs> like you can get the higher resolution and mm-hmm. and this sort of thing, and like it's cleaner. It's, it is more digital looking. I think maybe like it's it's hard not to look back at at like vintage stuff and film and you know shooting on celluloid uh, with with without like rose colored glasses and it being kind of romantic in a way. And I, I get swept up in that too. I also think that some of it is uh, kind of playing on the viewer's nostalgia a little bit and the idea that as a viewer, you can tell that it's different. And because it's mostly been used for like, let's say, let's say you're showing your video to somebody and most of what they watch is like Netflix stuff or, you know, YouTube videos or whatever. And then you're showing them your video. I think if it has like the, the filmic properties they're more likely to perceive it as like cinematic or like sure. higher quality because most of the higher quality stuff they've seen has followed that look. And so I really think that's a lot of why you see it. And like, it also kind of reminds me of like 24 versus 30 frames per second. Like when you see something in 30 frames per second, you sort of perceive it as lower quality. Like it kind of makes you think of like a soap opera or something on TV. And 24 is, you know, like, oh, this looks cinematic and it looks like a movie. And so I think that that's honestly a lot of why people do it because they want to get like that, you know, cinematic teal and orange, like Mm -hmm. filmic look. And they feel like that's going to, you know, make their video be perceived as being like higher class or higher quality. And so I think consciously or subconsciously that factors in. Yeah, I guess like it all plays into the style. And I get that, you know, sometimes it's hard not to just do it to do it, like get a certain look to be like, oh, I, now it looks cinematic. Mm-hmm. But I feel like most of you know the people who are making movies and shorts and stuff, it lends to what their final goal is, which is like, what kind of story am I wanting to tell? And how does the image reflect that? And if it's better to be told on film or with like a really hard grade, you know, that kind of lends to it. Uh, maybe true, but like, as you kind of pointed out, it sure does seem like a lot of people think film is the right way to tell their stories. Maybe yeah. maybe too much. There's still a place for film. Depending upon what you're shooting, you can get like a cleaner or higher resolution image. For instance, we're going to slide here into Lucas's film corner <laughs> and talk about Oppenheimer, which comes out this summer. And that was shot completely on IMAX. Do you know how big an IMAX image is? I do not. It's oh crazy so you're familiar with the old super 35 right yeah of course. and like you turn 30 that super 35 sideways and you have like a longer perforation you can shoot in like 65 millimeter mm-hmm. right it's like double double 35 millimeter huge the airy 65 is basically three super 35 sensors just like sideways and hmm. then stacked horizontally okay if you took that size that 65 millimeter you turned it vertical and then you stacked three of them <laughs> that's how big imax film strip is wow if you think about like perfs like the number of holes on film uh 35 millimeter like normal film 35 which is super 35 which is the real 35 as we've previously discussed at length it's like four three four perfs something like that imax is 15 perfs (laughs) it's huge and whenever you actually like display imax film on an imax projector 
it's like a 12k resolution wow i yeah. did not realize it was that uh intense it's absolutely nuts it, it rolls through the camera at like three miles an hour wow yeah <laughs> it's crazy anyway but like you can't do that on like you can't get you know 24 frames per second at i guess you could get 12k they do make those sensors like the ursa whatever but it's not that big so like yeah, the ursa sensor is tiny like the dynamic range and the sensor size that you can get out of imax is still like way better than any yeah. sort of digital sensor that's currently out there yeah and so like film still has the lead as far as like technology and resolution and color and all this stuff but we still look back at the other film point is oppenheimer this summer gotta see it in imax that's it for my little film corner i'll keep that in mind Okay, what are we talking about anyways? Sorry, I feel, like, I feel like we're just, we're totally off the rails here. Yeah, yeah, we are. Point is, the Moment Tuner, it's on Kickstarter. I, I don't want it. Maybe you want it. I Maybe someone want else it. wants it. Not for that price. Uh, anyway, what else? Um, Nikon Cast Strikes Again. Yep. That's it for the show today. Thanks for listening, and we'd encourage you to rate the show on iTunes and tell a friend, but only if you enjoyed it. You can find out more about us on our website at cameragearpodcast.com. We'll be back with more next week.